All right. All right. Huh. Listening What's audience, please provide us feedback on how we sound because we're pushing a lot of buttons today. <laughs> <laughs> pushing a lot of audacity buttons is not each other's buttons. Not yet. No, not yet. Not normally. What's going on, Roya? How is your How is your new year? Uh, I spent it asleep. <laughs> yeah, same. Well, Which, no. Big shock. I I was up for the uh for the midnight stuff. Nah. <laughs> because I'm on night shift, but Yeah. I I did take a nap between the hour of like 11 and I woke up just before 12. <laughs> because I was a little drunk and really sleepy. Yeah. That tends to happen when you drink. Yep. Not just you, but just like people in general. But also Yo, you. I I'm such a sleepy drunk. <laughs> like some people get all wild and shit. I'm like two glasses of wine. Let's take a nap. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> there's like a level that you can get me that I'll be really fun and giggly and stuff. But the second I go like an inch over that, I'm just asleep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> when we were at uh, we were in Philly. We were drinking with my Dark Ages crew, and at one point, I literally just like. Was, I was sitting on the floor and Rick was next to me in a chair and I like clunked my head against his <laughs> knee because I was just like, Casey tired. Casey drink and head heavy. Well, yeah. And you were also like trying to switch your schedule like on a dime. I was trying to switch my schedule. Yes. Because I was like, everybody's going to be here. I'm going to be awake during the day. And that happened to be the day that I walked eight fucking miles <laughs> because yeah, we I walked think- to the mooter from our hotel and then we we came back we just went and got some lunch we went back to the hotel and then my friend Kaylee was there and she was like hey let's go to this artsy end of town and then we walked over there and by the time my little fitness watch was like yo bitch you watched you walked eight miles today and I'm like I don't walk eight miles in a week <laughs> <laughs> that's probably not true I do walk a lot at work but yeah I was I was a sleepy bitch. <laughs> anyway, well, yeah. Welcome to the Strange and Unusual, where we discuss the strange and unusual. This is episode 97 of our series, seeking out the weird, the unexplained, and the devious from around the world. I'm Roya and I'm Casey, and today we'll be discussing families that kill. Um, if you'd like, you can follow us on our various social medias. Just search for the Strange and Unusual podcast. Um, all of the information will be in the show notes as well as in more detail at the end of the episode. And we do have a Patreon, patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, we have some bonus episodes and Discord and some other cool stuff going on over there. So just so you guys have an idea. I believe we have a poll coming up here soon, too. Yeah, we will. Soon as I remember to do it. (laughs) (laughs) Probably before this episode comes out. Yeah, probably tonight. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) It'll probably be up by the time you're hearing us talk about this. Oh, it will definitely be up by the time you guys are hearing us talk about this. Well. I definitely didn't forget until right now. What are you talking about today, Casey? Uh, I will be talking about the Russian Gang of Amazons. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. Intrigued. Don't be. The the name makes literally no sense. It's great. Okay. (laughs) Basically, this entire case makes no sense. All right. But yeah, family that kills. The family that slays together stays together. Uh, Maybe not in my case. Um, I'm going to be talking about the Bender family. America's first family of serial killers. At least first known. The bloody Benders. Yeah. Well, um, mine's mine's new mine's like within the last decade new do we want to go chronologically guys i don't think there's a better or worse in this situation they're probably both pretty shitty yeah probably i mean i can go first i don't mind go chronologically wee woo murder (laughs) (laughs) and child murder and you know we're talking about like the land runs and shit like that so you know indigenous people being exploited and abused and everything It doesn't really come into play in this story necessarily or this case necessarily, but it is something, you know, triggering, I'm sure, for some people out there to just even talk about the, like, 
prairie land expansion time period of America. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, also, uh, Wee Wee Little House on the Prairie. Maybe oh, people cool. have maybe people have problems with that. I don't know. <laughs> Laura. Wilder. Wilder. Yeah. Um, so after the Civil War, new areas of Kansas were opened up. And oh, by sure. opened up, I mean the Osage tribe members that were living there were driven out of their lands, and their lands were then stolen by America. Um, the offer with homesteading at the time was that you were given an area of land, and as long as you lived there and cultivated it for a number of years, you then owned the land. So it was a pretty good deal for a lot of people, especially some people who, living in larger cities, didn't necessarily have the um, ability to own property, or like own a farm, own a land. You know, you could own a house, but it wasn't, it was different to own land. Mm-hmm. It's um, good to have land. Yeah. So living on prairie, though, was unforgiving and difficult at the time. And Kansas itself was known for being a very fairly violent area um, between the indigenous people rightly being pissed off that they were being forced out of their sometimes not even native lands. Um, and then additionally, the wildlife, people coming from larger cities used to those accommodations and being thrown into a completely different, you know, temperature environment, completely different weather, everything like that, along with just people are dangerous in general. Yep. And um, a lot of these people were moving across the country with everything they owned because if mm-hmm. you're because if you're moving to set up a homestead, your intention is not to come back to where you're currently living. Right. And so there are people... And there's no, like, UPS to ship your shit out once you're out there. Yeah, there's no pods, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Ye olde pods. (laughs) And so it was really... It was a lot... There was a lot of danger involved because highwaymen and stuff had become a big problem, especially on the well-traveled trails, because they knew people were going to be just carrying everything they owned and carrying all of their money, all of their valuable items... Everything that they didn't want to leave home without. Mm-hmm. Um, so despite all the difficulty, people still moved west onto the land for a desire to own property, a desire for a fresh start, you know, a lot of different things. Even just for adventure, just to explore, you know, a new area and be one of the first, you know, white people out there. I was going to say, first fucking idiots out there. <laughs> Among these people were five families of spiritualists who moved out to the same area off the Osage Trail that would later become Cherryvale, Kansas. What are spiritualists, you might ask? I was going to ask. Well, it's a religious belief based on the fact that spirits of the dead are real and both have the ability to speak to the living and also the want to do so. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, there was some belief that spirits of the dead could offer guidance on moral and ethical issues as they had experienced a different reality than humans. So they have, they're basically a, a intermediary between like humanity and God. Mm. So in, in 2022, I'm hopefully planning on doing a deep, vi- a deep vibe, a deep dive <laughs> for Patreon on spiritualists and how most of them were full of shit and how Harry Houdini ties into all of it. So stick Love around. <laughs> there's a lot because there's a couple of people who just dedicated their lives to proving that spiritualists were full of shit and they have some <laughs> great stories about it. Love that. Um, so around 1870, a German uh, German immigrant family consisting of John Bender Sr. and John Bender Jr. registered a homestead just off of the Great Osage Trail and began working on their homestead. A cabin, a barn with a corral, and a well were all built on the land in 1871. And Elvira or Almira uh, Bender, I kept seeing it spelled different ways depending on where I was like, reading it. Um, and their daughter, Kate, arrived. The whole family was kind of odd. Yeah. Um, so John Sr., known as Paul, was reportedly a huge man who would often be seen working on the farm and allegedly accomplishing feats of strength that weren't seen as normal for a man. So some oh my people... God, like Jean Valjean style? <laughs> some people were, from what I could under... Like, described him as, like, a gorilla of a man. Like, he Damn. was just, like... Like a, a human bear. 
Now, I know this is probably spoilers, but did he also, like, grind people's bones to make bread? Like, uh, Not that I know of. Okay. <laughs> it's like what giants do, right? Yeah. Um, Elvira, or Ma, was cold and unattractive, and she didn't <laughs> speak very much. Same bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Except for that last part. Uh, John Jr. was peculiar in that he was almost constantly just giggling. Like, just when it wasn't appropriate or it didn't make sense, it was kind of like his flavor text was just giggling. Um, and a lot of people thought that he might have some mental problems. Like, the things that I saw all described him as, like, maybe being a dimwit or a halfwit. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure those aren't PC words to use anymore. Yeah, they're... But um, that he had some something like that was... difficulties. Yeah, and... something that was holding him back. Um some sort of mental issue. And Kate, well, Kate was a beauty. She was tall, thin, had dark auburn hair, and was outgoing and very charming. She began to advertise herself as able to communicate with the dead for a cost, mm. and she also began to work as a healer because she was gifted. Oh, look, I was gifted too. That did not work out for me. <laughs> you get out of high school, you just got all this anxiety. It's not great mood uh rumors circulated that kate and john jr did not act like siblings ew um, i knew it was going there feeling that they acted more like lovers or husband and wife than siblings ew 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 there's actually some belief uh some speculation that none of them were related so like that what? that they weren't actually like children of these other people and that like or that kate was the biological daughter of ma but she and john were not related to pa interesting and john jr wasn't related to ma that they were actually a couple and then ma and pa were a couple but they thought that it would be too peculiar i guess and and kate was also using her how she looked as a means to lure people in right so they're going to be less likely to go engage with a married woman even in yeah. just communication, it, then especially if she's in the, in that time, yeah, you know, people now they're like, "You got an Ashley Madison account, bitch." <laughs> um, the cabin was divided into two rooms by canvas cover from the wagon. They used the smaller back room for living quarters, and the front room was used as a small general store. The front was also um, where the kitchen was and a dining table, and travelers could stop in for a meal or even spend the night. They were one of the first um, tavern inn type situations mm. on the Osage Trail. The So Elvira and Kate planted a large vegetable garden and an apple orchard on the property as well. Um, pa and John Jr. also added a cold cellar under the house, not uncommon, but they added it with a trap door in the kitchen, which is super bizarre. For the time period. That sounds like some Mrs. Lovett's meat pie situation. We'll get there. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> uh, totally normal. Not at all going to be important later. Yep. <laughs> uh, so W.F. McCrotty was one of the early guests to stay at the Bender Tavern. He was headed west, carrying his life savings on him to start a new life somewhere else when he decided it would be nice to have a hot meal at the inn. Kate led him in to the table and encouraged him to seat himself at the head of the table since he was the guest, and she sat across from him. He was facing the doorway, however his back was to the canvas curtain. Kate engaged him, charming him and finding out a lot of information about him, mainly about how wealthy he was, and also if he had anyone waiting for him. Oh, Kate. Then she gave the signal, and Pa came from behind the curtain, armed with a hammer. Ah, in one swing, McCrotty was rendered unconscious. Kate then moved around the table, grabbing him by his hair and pulling his head back and stabbing a knife deep into his throat. Yo, Kate, what? <laughs> the rest of the family came in and began to scavenge his body for anything of value. Then they, they moved like a well-oiled machine. Like, it's almost impressive at how thought out their actions really were. Um, so they dropped the body into the cellar under the kitchen, and then John Jr. went out back and started digging a hole. Once a sufficiently sized hole was made, he and Pa got McCrotty's body out of the cellar and buried it out back behind the cabin. This all happened, like, within hours of McCrotty arriving at the tavern. 
Like, this was wow. just so fast. This wasn't like he stayed the night and next day they decided to kill him. This was like he showed up and they were like, oh, goody, our first guinea pig. Yeah. Um, mm. Feeling that this was an incredibly successful little crime business they had going on, the family knew that they needed to make sure to lay low. They came up with a list of things that a good victim would have to have in order for them to kill that person. Yes. That person needed to be a loner, a person of affluence, and a person that no one was going to miss immediately. All right. So at first I was like, are these people fucking inbred? Because this sounds like one of those situations. And now I'm like, why are these people so clever? Yeah. Like, because that's unfortunately very smart. Yeah, there's there's a reason why some of our our more famous horror families take uh horror movie families take some uh inspiration from the benders. Yeah. And that's because they were unfortunately very good at what they did. Um this was also the perfect time period and place yeah. for this kind of crime business to exist. After all, people went missing all the time on their way to the west. Let's just blame the indigenous people. They definitely did it. I mean, between illness, bandits, weather, wild animals, just getting lost, indigenous people attacking the caravans, and any number of things that could stop someone from making it to their destination and no one would ever see them again. They could be moving towards California and then stop in Colorado and be like, no, Colorado is where I want to be. And then, you know, people are expecting them in California and get a letter from Denver being like, no, we're going to live here now. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so who would suspect a quiet family of immigrants and their beautiful daughter? Part of what made them so successful at this, though, wasn't just that they knew how who to kill, but that they knew who not to kill. If someone had a family waiting for them or they knew the person would be missed quickly, they just didn't kill them. They fed them, let them stay the night and sent them on their way the next day. If they found out the person had no money. They didn't waste their energy on killing them. So what's the point? Mm. However, this didn't mean that they were having any shortage of victims. Yeah, right. And honestly, a lot of them are unknown. Um, the documentary episode I watched was saying that, like, the property was never fully excavated. So there could be victims that they don't know that are just were buried so deeply or so decomposed that we would never find them. That's weird that they wouldn't fully excavate knowing what went on there. I knew a lot of excavation, though. <laughs> this is a big property. And that's going with the estimation that everyone is buried on the property as well. Yeah. And I guess by the time that you get to, um, like, now when you could potentially identify people, like, who's around to still care? Yeah. It's not like today when we have an umpteenth number of fucking rape kits still untested and things like that that we need to get through now. Yeah. <sighs> Sorry. You're all right. Um, <laughs> Just bring down the mood even more. No, you're fine. That's what we're here for. Everybody wants to be sad on Wednesday. <laughs> it's a great uh, midweek downer. Yep. That's us. Um, Henry McKinnon. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> Your favorite midweek downer. Strange and unusual podcast. Henry McKenzie came through the area and caught Kate's attention because he was very, very well dressed. Oh, he I was... thought you were going to say well hung. <laughs> <laughs> he was bragging about his hat was a real Stetson and his boots were custom made leather and his whole suit was custom made for him. And it was, you know, I'm picturing the guy from the beginning of Psycho who's buying the house for his daughter. <laughs> Okay. Um, when he was killed and they began to rifle through his pockets, they found that this well-dressed man had about 40 cents to his name. <laughs> Kate, Dummies. Kate was pissed and grabbed her knife and just started stabbing him over and over and over and over again. You made me waste my time on yeah. you. Um, Dr. William York would start to put the pieces in place to lead him lead to the downfall of the benders. So Dr. York had a friend named George Longcore who went missing in the spring of 1873 with his infant daughter. Oh. Longcore was moving from Independence, Kansas to resettle in Iowa. 
Feeling that something was just off about this, Dr. York began to retrace Longcore's steps, looking for some idea of what had happened to him. You know, hoping to find him, but at least hoping to find out what happened. Right. Um, Closure. Yeah, he stopped at various homesteads, villages, towns, and inns along the trip up toward Iowa, asking if anyone had seen his friend. So when he finally got to the Bender Tavern, Kate welcomed him in, and Dr. York wasted no time in asking about his friend. His questions were intense and to the point, and made it seem like he might have known more than he was letting on, but he didn't. They just perceived him as already suspecting them but he had no idea that it was them okay i like that doctor he's he's my pal (laughs) well i got bad news for you (laughs) (laughs) given his upstanding reputation the benders were concerned that he was far too much of a liability if he left if word got out that he suspected the benders pa and kate murdered dr york in order to keep him quiet they broke their rules Yeah, for real. They didn't have the restraint that they had in the beginning, breaking their own code, and killing a man who was definitely going to be myth. Yep. See, the bad news for the Benders was that Dr. York was definitely not the only York, and he wasn't even the most powerful or influential York in Kansas. Colonel Alexander York was Dr. York's brother, and he was no one important. Just a Civil War veteran, a lawyer, and a member of the Kansas State Senate. (laughs) definitely nobody important he he could have had his own chicken stand he's a colonel (laughs) he knew the details about his brother's trip because his brother told him like hey i'm planning on going from here to here trying to find my friend these are kind of the stops along the way that i'm planning on in case i die you know where i'm going because if my friend died or anything yeah and when he didn't return and he didn't send any word back colonel york uh pulled together a 50-man team to follow his brother's travels to try to find out what happened. Here's a question, real quick. If we were in the oldie days Uh and I went missing and you're like, damn, damn, it's fucking dangerous out there. Do I go look for her or do I just say, oh, well? (laughs) I mean, at the time period for a woman, it would be a lot of, oh, well. Yeah, I know. Like... Like, it's such a, like, I I mean, even for a man, like, the fact that this guy went and did that, like, he really fucking cared about that dude. Yeah, it was his brother. He he had two brothers, um, one that was, you know, like, just a dude. Yeah. (laughs) And And one that was a colonel who didn't have a fried chicken stand. (laughs) Yeah. But did a lot of other cool things, apparently. Well, and he also pulled together, like, a 50-man posse, so he's not like he's going alone. (laughs) Right. Um, so they- the the posse stopped everyone they met on the trail asking about dr york and went to every homestead that they came across knocking on the doors hell yeah before long he would find himself on the doorstep of the bender tavern speaking with kate bender he gave a description of his brother and asked if anyone had seen him there since he'd been given some good some good indications that his brother had stayed there for a meal by another local he even described his brother's saddle in detail his brother had very unique uh specific style fancy saddle yeah of course he did he was a doctor kate invited him inside but something about the benders set off alarms in colonel york's head something about how they answered his questions like they knew more than they were letting on and not in a good way kind of like what they thought dr york was doing yeah but he's actually suspicious (laughs) (laughs) one thing stuck out to colonel york though a very specific saddle that was on the property interesting yeah that won't give it away (laughs) if you're gonna travel somewhere and people are gonna steal your shit make sure it's real fancy and like unique to you yeah it's got your we all know when you go branded on it yeah yep um colonel york would refuse any suggestions of entering the bender tavern now more than ever convinced that his brother had died there he the so kind of how they made it seem at least on the episode of evil ken i watched um was that like they were going into like a, a town, like the posse, and then the posse uh-huh. was all splitting up and individually going to people's houses because they didn't yeah. want to like scare everybody. Like they're just looking yeah, for I one dude. <laughs> I'd be like, come on, fifty guys, one house. <laughs> 
Um, so he would return to Cherryvale the next day, April 30th, 1873, and he would return to the Bender property with all of his men, as well as the men from Cherryvale, determined to catch the Benders because he knew they were up to something. When the posse arrived at the tavern, the Benders were gone. (gasps) Everything in the house indicated that they had left abruptly. Food and coffee were still on the table, pots full of food still on the stove. Evidence of the family's murderous nature were found all over the house. Dry blood on the kitchen table, two bloody hammers, and Kate's bloody knife was found inside a clock on the wall. Um, They opened the trap door to the cellar and were assaulted by the smell of rotting flesh from where the victims had been thrown down and left while John Jr. dug their graves in the back. Because this was a few feet drop into the cellar and they're just tossing the bodies in there. It's not like they're laying them down in there. Um, Then the team went out to look over the property, and Colonel York noticed some areas of disturbed earth around the homestead and ordered his men to start digging. In one of the graves, he would find his brother, Dr. York, face down in the grave. Colonel York continued uh, looking and looked out toward the apple orchard and saw even more mounds of freshly turned dirt, so the digging continued. They found eight bodies, some of them too decomposed to be recognized. By the end of the first night, they found 11 complete bodies and numerous body parts. Wow. One of the bodies was that of a small girl who had no injuries other than a broken arm, and she had dirt under her fingernails, indicating that she had likely been buried alive and tried to dig (gasps) her way out. No, no, I don't like that. Um, After they took into account all the bodies and pieces of bodies recovered, it's estimated that 20 plus people were killed by the Bender family. Also, this crime was committed in the early days of photography, so there's actually a lot of photographs of the crime scene and the investigation um, as it happened. Mm. Um, The posse started out after the benders, um, after the bodies had been collected, giving the family at least a day day to a day and a half head start to escape. All across the countryside, people were hunting for this family. The state put up $2,000 for anyone that could catch the Bender family, and Colonel York added $1,000 of his own money to the reward. Hot damn. Which is a ton of money. Ton I of didn't, money. I didn't do the like calculations for this one, but it's a ton of money. The 1870s. Yeah, um, yeah cause the one I just did on Molly Brown at one point, it was like, she got $700, and it was like 20 grand. Yeah. So. It became national news shortly after and people were shocked by the crimes and horrified that the family was still missing. Mm. Uh, two women in Michigan were arrested on a larceny charge, and the people in Michigan were so sure that they were the Bender women, that they actually shipped them down to Kansas, where women who had known the Benders were asked if these two were them. Half of the women said yes, and half of the women said no. What the fuck? And there were not enough people who could positively identify them, so eventually they were let go. There was another rumor that there was this woman in LA who like in the early 1900s like on her deathbed told her friend that was like sitting with her that she was Kate Bender and then died. Huh. Um so she could have just like lived a a great old life to like 90 or something and then died in a little neighborhood in LA. I hope not. Um hope they could have escaped to the country. There were rumors that the Benders had been caught, um, but there were never really any concrete evidence as to what happened to them because the the posses that all claimed to have caught them said that they executed them, which wasn't uncommon in this time period for America. And the reason why I say that there's a connection to Little House on the Prairie is like this all happened next door to where like Lori Inga Wilder was living. Like her dad was part of the posse that went to the Bender house. Wow. To try to catch him. Try to catch the family. And she said that he would never talk about it. Like, it was so bad. It was something he had never experienced before. Yeah. And so he would, like, never explain what it was like or what he saw or anything. He just would never talk about it because it was just that bad. And that a lot of the the men in the community blamed themselves for letting it kind of go on because they knew people were missing they knew people were going missing but this was a time period where people went missing all the time missing yeah Yeah. and so there was a lot of uh guilt felt that they should have recognized that these people are going missing from our community 
these people right. aren't leaving. We're not seeing them leaving the next day. They're coming into town and then not leaving. Right. So someone here is doing something. Yeah. And so there was a lot of, evidently, a lot of guilt and uh, remorse, obviously, for not being more suspicious of the family as well. Right. Because they were kind of peculiar. And when they knew people were going missing, they all... You should check on the weirdos. Yeah, all it would have taken was someone going out to the property to see, like, oh, man, there's, like, six, you know, grave-shaped... <laughs> tilled lands over here yeah maybe i should go call the like police and (laughs) get them out here to check this yeah but they weren't thinking about it like that i mean it was it was homesteading everyone was so focused on their own survival that yeah that's that's a big part of it yeah well and the benders like intentionally picked an area that was like they weren't directly on the trail they were kind of off the trail right and so you had to kind of put a little effort into getting to them and right. so Kate would often like go to the trail and intercept men that she thought were would fit their needs. Right. And then would be like, oh, I have like my family has a tavern. It's just like, you know, a five, ten minute walk, whatever that way. And mm-hmm. it was kind of like, like nestled kind of out of the way so that the people in the greater Cherryvale community wouldn't necessarily become wise to what they were doing. Because right. there's no like, man, why is why is John Jr. just out digging holes at like nine o'clock at night? That's kind of fucking weird. Like, hey, maybe somebody should go check on John. I think, uh, but yeah, well, that's the I don't like vendors. that. I've wanted to cover them for a while because I've driven. Um, you know, they're like, is there stuff still there? No. Like, is it one of those creepy places you can go visit? I mean, there's there's a memorial uh, oh, okay. for the house and for the lives lost, but the house is gone. So okay. basically, this was, again, in that time period where, um, you know, the Victorians were obsessed with the macabre and the yeah. morbid. And so as soon as, like, this story broke, like, 3,000 people showed up and, like, started taking uh, mementos and stuff from the house. And they basically just stripped the house Dang. of everything. Um, Fucking Victorian. <laughs> and then I think eventually after the... Uh, after the the grounds were as excavated as they could do at the time um they ended up tearing the what remained of the house down and then turned the it's still grasslands there's nothing built on it um well yeah there's graves there there's probably like litigation that you can't potentially it's farmland as far as i know um but there's like a memorial you can pull over there's a museum up in kansas that's got some of the stuff uh, from the Bender household. I have not been to the museum. I wanted to go, but I was on like a school school bus event thing and they didn't want to stop. And I was like, yep, because I'm the only fucking weirdo who knows who these people are. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. Yeah, I'm totally, I'm totally fine. You, you do not need to warn the FBI about me. I do not know how to shoot a gun. I promise. Yep. <laughs> <sighs> well, now for my terrible story. Yay! Wee woo! Murder. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Um, abuse. Shocker. Child murder. Oh, good. And potential torture. Oh, good. A brief mention of alcohol abuse. And, of course, as always, pillars of the community. Oh, I thought you were going to say the Catholic Church. <laughs> nah, not this time. Uh, so today I'll be talking about the Tarverdieva family. Okay. I'm probably butchering that, but I'm trying really hard. So don't come for me. Forewarning, I am going to report this story to the best of my ability as someone who used Russian websites with Google's translation assistance (laughs) and some English articles that were probably very likely sensationalized um, or maybe not. Who knows? Uh, But it's kind of like that case that I did on the Russian cannibal couple. Uh There's a certain level of difficulty in getting criminal information out of Russia. Yeah. Like unless it's um, like one of the the big couple of serial killers, it's going to be pretty hard. Uh, but I was so intrigued by uh, this woman, and it's because of a particular quote that I will tell you at the end of the story um, that I needed to know what the hell was going on. So that said, uh, the Tarverdieva family was also called the Gang of Amazons and different variations of that. The Amazon Gang, you know, whatever. Um, and there are a couple different theories as to how this name was chosen, one of which was the fact that four out of the six people involved were women 
Another one was that near one of the crime scenes, a knife was found, which had something like my favorite Amazon or the best Amazon or something engraved on the blade. <laughs> okay. But it turned out later. Look, I Google Translate, right? Yeah, no. Uh, but it later turned out that this knife didn't actually belong to the family at all. Okay. It was just something that the police found near a crime <laughs> scene. And so it became... It like got to the media and the media was like the gang of Amazons. <laughs> and that's kind of how it happened. Sometimes naming serial killers and stuff be like that. It's just like I yeah, did this for... one time and now it's all I'm known for. Great. Yes. Suffice to say it was a name given to the group by the press and it was not one they ever used for themselves. So they're um, not they're not a BTK in over here. Yeah, they're not they're not naming they're not themselves. BTK. Dennis? No. Fucking These people dead. are better than you, Dennis. <laughs> Burn. <laughs> <laughs> how will he ever recover from that burn <laughs> the family was from stavropol russia it was made up of anessa her common-law husband roman podkoviev and their two daughters victoria and anastasia anessa was a homemaker and a nursery school teacher oh good yeah i have a feeling was- that's gonna not be important <laughs> later at all uh she was the only one i found anything on for her background and it was said that she had always been very pretty and popular with the boys but she had little interest in uh like dating and things in her youth so i also read (laughs) it was also said that uh she had a fairly normal childhood but that her stepdad was known to be strict and potentially abusive that's literally all i could get a lot of serial killers i had perfectly normal upbringings absolutely just like like Dahmer and and Bundy totally normal upbringings um Bundy did not have I, neither of them did Dahmer kind of did Dahmer got left alone in a house for a year but he was like 18 at that point he wasn't That's like a still, kid I don't know well discussion for like, later Carla Homolka <laughs> had a normal life like Carla Homolka was yeah, but- a normal like had everything that, that's true that's true but then Catherine knight definitely did not no Catherine knight was horribly abused <laughs> but at least anyway, she only so killed one person roman but man did she kill them she she certainly <laughs> fucking did roman was her second husband uh he was 10 years younger than her which like that's get scandalous. it scandalous. but uh Cougar. he worked as a well-respected dentist and all i could think of Every time I was thinking about Roman the dentist was that fucking elf from Rudolph. (laughs) I want to be a dentist. Every time I think of dentists, I think of uh, Steve Martin in Little Shop of Horrors. That's that's a good one, too. But Herbie doesn't like to make toys always comes into my head. Uh, Victoria is Anessa's daughter. Uh, That was with her first husband. And Anastasia... um, is the daughter of Anessa and Roman that they had together. Later on, I'll also be talking about another Anastasia um, and Sergei. They are Roman's sister and brother-in-law that will be involved later. You did so say most it's source- Amazon family. It's an Amazon family. Most sources would suggest that the killing started around 2007 um, to 08, but they may have been committing robberies and possibly more murders as far back as 1997. Wow. There were a few notes that I saw that Roman had actually been considered a suspect in the murder of Anessa's first husband. Oh, dang. But it seemed like he was never charged with the crime or there wasn't any follow up on that that I could find. Also, most sources seemed pretty positive that Anessa was the mastermind for the criminal activity. So she was like the matriarch of this criminal family. And some suggest that the family had upwards of 30 victims. I'm not sure if that means like totally with their history of nonviolent burglary as well. But if they were additional murder victims, I could not find information on them. I think I have like 15, which is plenty. Yeah. But, but uh, they you'll find articles that'll say they had 30 victims. And then they tell you about 10 of them. Like it, I can't, you, it's just not, the information's not there. It was suspected that they had committed over 80 nonviolent robberies. So it seems like there would be more than 30 victims if the nonviolent robberies were, uh, you know, considered part of that victim pool. So I'm doing my best. Who knows? It's Russia. Uh, the family lived a comfortable life because he was a fucking dentist and she was, you know, a homemaker. They had plenty of money. They didn't need to rob or burglarize anybody, but they just, you know, it was for fun. For, yeah, for just fun. for funsies. So they would go out of town and they would tell their friends and neighbors that they were going camping as a way to kind of cover up their crimes. 
and these crimes slash campsites were mostly centered around Aksai, Novocherkask, and Stravopol. The one that I found any information on, like the first, the first crime that I could find information on, took place in 2008. And that was on February 17th. The family broke into the home of Mikhail Zlyudne and Zlyudnev. Hold on. Whoops. Let me try it. Zlyudnev. Uh, and he held a rank of colonel and worked as the head of information security at the state drug control office. But did he have any chicken stands? I don't believe so. He did not have any fried chicken that I was aware of. Keep that in mind, though, because later chicken comes up. Oh, good. I can't wait to <laughs> understand how chicken is involved in this storyline. The family. OK, I've got to stop laughing because I'm about to say something <laughs> the family killed Mikhail and his wife, Tatiana. Um, they started with guns and finished with knives. And this is an MO that will continue for the rest of the story. I couldn't find much about which wounds were actually the cause of death for a lot of these, or if it was just like a combination, but it clearly wasn't a good time. They were shot and then stabbed. They were not, they not only killed the couple, but they burglarized the home. It said that they took a cell phone, a TV, a woman's coat, a man's jacket, and a DVD player. Uh, in some of the, sources that I read it said the TV was actually found on the side of the road later but one other article suggested that they'd actually only taken the jackets and a remote control for the television which <laughs> that sounds more like trophy taking than actual robbery like they didn't have any real value to them which is something serial killers do yeah so not super surprised on the 17th of July they shot at another car while traveling along the highway around Aksai the victims were a couple Alexei Savna's Sazonov and Julia Velieva and Alexei was killed instantly. Julia was wounded with a shot to the head. It was said that they realized she hadn't died and somebody told the rest of the family to attack her because they didn't want to leave any survivors to give them away. But another car was approaching and the family decided to like fuck off because they were like, we don't want to get caught. They were able to get away and they took Julia's purse that held a driver's license and a passport. The driver of the approaching car was able to stop and help Julia, and she did survive the attack, but she was left permanently disabled. And because of the nature of her uh, injury, she couldn't recall who had attacked her or much of the attack other than the fact that she remembered a woman realizing she wasn't dead and calling everybody to come and attack her, presumably Anessa. It's good that she survived, and while it's unfortunate she couldn't remember anything, it might also be kind of good that she could good that she doesn't remember anything, anything. yeah or doesn't remember much so uh in 2009 on march 10th the family broke into a home near uh novocherkask they killed two people inside most sources said it was a couple but one of the russian article translations i found said it was actually an elderly man and his daughter-in-law they were first shot and then stabbed again they stole passports as well as a video camera, a laptop, and some clothing. But it was in July that one of their most high-profile and most brutal killings took place. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel Dmitry Chudikov. Uh, not sure if he was uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Colonel. <laughs> Lieutenant Colonel uh, for military or police. Uh, one source said special ops. So kind of up in the air. His wife, uh, Iriana. And their two children, Veronica, who was 11, and Sasha, who was listed as both six or seven. They were on their way home from their vacation. Uh, they were last spotted by a police checkpoint on the road near Aksai. Shots were reported around 2.33 a.m. Dimitri, Irina, and uh, the little boy, Sasha, were all killed by a semi-automatic shotgun. And police found no casings left behind by a smooth bore gun, but there were evidence of wounds from a non-rifled gun as well. Irina uh, had knife wounds as well as her gunshot wounds, but perhaps the most horrific part of this crime was that 11-year-old Veronica had been stabbed 37 times. Jeez. I can't recall where I read it, and I didn't write it down, but I remember reading that an investigator described the scene like they were at a pit stop or had pulled off on the shoulder of the road and Dimitri had been looking over a map while the other three were sharing a thermos of tea. A man named Alexei Ser uh, Serenko 
was detained for the crime that September and spent two years in prison for it before he was finally released because obviously he didn't do it. I'm not talking about him. Uh, in one of the Russian articles, it's speculated that police basically knew the murders had been committed by a group because they could tell that different knives had been used. But Alexei was a known troublemaker and they probably thought that they could pin this on him to get rid of him for a while. Yeah. One invest. Yeah. One investigator, you're going to love this, was even quoted as saying, it's not my job to collect evidence of innocence. <laughs> Actually, it's your job to collect evidence, period. Yeah. Even Police. if it doesn't go the way you want it to. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if it doesn't go the way you want it to. Police also assumed in intent of robbery gone wrong since the family stole the victim's laptop and hairdryer and a camera, uh, but they had left the jewelry behind. Again, not a direct quote because Google Translate can only do so much, but one article said that the brutality of these murders had amazed even the most seasons, seasoned of investigators. Wow. Uh, in 2010, the family caught wind of a substantial stock of weapons and money in the home of some of their extended family. Well, good. Yeah. And prepare to get upsetty spaghetti because it's going to get worse. So they break into the house and quickly find that they are not alone. And this is where the details get a little blurry because in every version of the story, they are met by two teenage girls. Uh, one source listed their names as Lara and Tanya, and they were both just 13. Not sure if they were there before the break-in and came to investigate what was going on, or if they came home in the middle of this and found them trying to do a burgle. Yeah. Do a burgle? Uh, it's also unclear whether or not these were both daughters of the family, of the, like of the homeowner, or if it was one daughter and her friend. It One, one article would say the daughters, and the other one said Lara was the daughter and Tanya was her friend. But it was mentioned in multiple versions that one of them, Lara, was actually Anessa's goddaughter. Jeez. One of the girls, presumably the family member, um, tried to talk to them and then all hell breaks loose. In some versions, they are tortured and then killed. And in other, ver other versions, they are gunned down first. However, unfortunately, in every version I read, they had their eyes gouged out. Oh, good. There's a lot of symbolism in taking somebody's eyes, right? Yeah. I didn't want you to see this. I'm gonna take those. Yeah. Hate that. I just uh, hope that it happened after they were dead. Yeah, for real. The family got the guns. They got the money. Uh, they left. The two girls were ended up ended up being found by the father of the household. Jeez. Anissa and her family attended the funeral like nothing was wrong. Of course, they had nothing to do with it. So they just showed up, and it was actually said that the father that found them. Uh, as one would expect, was traumatized by the situation. Oh, yeah. It put a strain on his marriage to the point where that ended in divorce and he ended up developing a serious alcohol problem. That's sad. There's a year-long break here in the notes because I couldn't find any killings from 2011. Doesn't mean they didn't happen because, like I said, it was projected that they had 30 victims. Just means Russian crime news isn't easy to navigate. Yeah. And maybe they needed a break after killing their literal family. Yeah, that might have but been in, too much for them. They needed to recalibrate. Yeah. But in 2012, they picked up a new strategy where they would intentionally set off security alarms at businesses and then rob or kill the people who showed up to investigate. On September 19th, 2012, they set off an alarm at a dental office. Vladimir Mandrik and Valasi Kamforin. They were two officers, uh, 26 and 22 years old, and they showed up. They were officers for this private security company, came out to investigate the alarm. The family murdered both of them and stole their weapons, which was one assault rifle and two pistols. And on November 29th of that year, those guns were used uh, when they were caught stealing from the home of taxi driver Vadim Lajkov. And he attempted to pursue them after catching them, saying he was going to call the police. So they turned around and killed him. 2013 was a banner year for the family. On uh, March 16th, 2013, they set off a car alarm in Aksai, which got the attention of the owner who came out of the apartment to investigate. That owner was police inspector Nikolai Kutskun. He was shot and killed after approaching the suspicious characters by his car. Uh, there were theories that he may have tried to detain them and then was killed, and others that he was lured out specifically to be killed. Just a few weeks later, on a April 8th, they set off alarms at a small shop. Nikolai Korsunov and his partner Yuri Stats Stetsenko, they were employees at the shop and went to investigate the alarms. 
As the car approached, the family fired upon the two employees. Both were wounded. Nikolai survived the ordeal, but Yuri died en route to the hospital. Again, not long later, they strike again on April 24th. They attack 39-year-old police lieutenant Andre Yurin. Pause for giggles. His last name is Yurin. I was like, come on. <laughs> All right, so he's leaving his home to go for a drive when he was shot point blank and killed. The family was thankfully unable to get into the home. The door was locked and it seemed like he had a pretty secure setup. So they were unable to rob his home or hurt his wife and children, which you would expect from a police officer. I would expect you to have a secure home. Yeah. Later in 2013, and I couldn't find exactly when, the family did kill another uh, unnamed husband and wife. They were on a walk in XI. But on September 8th, they made... Sir, I'm recording. Sorry. Jackson had something to say. I was going to say Jackson or AJ. So where was I? September 8th. They made a fatal error that would end their spree. Roman and the eldest daughter, Victoria, who was only 25 at the time, tried to burglarize the home of a former military officer. It's unclear if they went with the intent to murder, but no one was home. And I don't know what exactly their plan was, but they ended up stealing, get this, alcohol, candles, and chicken legs from the fridge. They were hungry. They were they were going to go on a nice picnic, have some beer, cook some chicken legs. And then they escaped, Roya, on a scooter. Of course they did. When they were stopped by police, uh, the officers Ivan Shakovoy and his partner Alexei Lagoda were... They were stopped for exhibiting suspicious behavior. And Roman, instead of taking out his ID, took out his gun and just started blasting. Such a good chef. <laughs> uh... Both officers were shot in the, sh the shootout, but Lagoda was able to actually call for backup. Shakovoy was killed in the shootout, but so was Roman. Victoria was left seriously injured, but immediately was detained and survived the attack. Or the shootout, because he was the one who started the attack. Anyway, the police found and arrested Anissa and Anastasia in their campsite, where they also discovered a horde of weapons. They had something like 20 guns, they had silencers, an abundance of ammo, and even grenades. They also uncovered stolen items that connected them to at least a dozen different crimes. Earlier, I also mentioned Roman's sister, Anastasia, who was, I think, 26, and her, her husband, Sergei, who was 31. While it seems like they weren't directly involved in the crimes, like they weren't out there holding people up or, you know, killing anybody, um, they were... They were basically the ones holding on to the stolen items and they were selling off jewelry for the family. And more damning still was the evidence that Sergei, who was a former traffic cop, was aiding the family by helping them track police movements. One article even suggested that he'd given them a walkie-talkie to listen to police radio so they would know where to where to avoid. Yeah. And there was one quote. He essentially says something like, I was... I was happy to know something that the other cops didn't like. He liked knowing who was responsible for the crimes while the rest of the police had no idea what was going on. It made him feel powerful or something. Anastasia, meanwhile, tried to maintain that she was innocent, but like, no. In the family's home, police found over 1 million rubles, which is only around $13,000 American. So it's not like they had a million bucks in their house, just for reference. Uh, they also found a small hoard of silver and gold jewelry. Between the arrest and the trial, Anessa seemed oddly proud of her crimes. She compared murder to a nine to five, just any day at the office. They were questioned about killing children and police specifically. And Anessa conveniently laid the blame for killing kids on her dead husband. Uh, but she openly admitted to hating police and confessed to intentionally targeting them. Uh, and this is the quote. This is the quote that made me go. I need to know more about this. She said, and it, you'll find it in just about every article on her. I'm a gangster by nature. <laughs> There's a new t-shirt. <laughs> I'm a gangster by nature. At the trial. Right there with our I'm God bitch content. I'm God bitch. I'm a gangster by nature. <laughs> Only it's Russian. So it's like, I'm a gangster by nature. Yeah. We'll just write it in like Cyrillic in Russian, like, in Russian yeah. and just no translation. <laughs> You need to get a friend who speaks Russian to make sure we're spelling it right. I, I think Dana is learning Russian, but I don't know how good she is yet. <laughs> Can she say gangster? <laughs> <laughs> so, she, living up to that 
she goes to the trial in this red dress. She's got this heavy ass makeup on and Louis Vuitton shoes, which upsets a lot of the victims' families, obviously, uh, but nothing more than her pleased demeanor and cold smile. The family ended up pointing a lot of fingers, except that two sources said that the fingers were never pointed at the daughters. So Victoria and Anastasia, who was only 13 at the time of the arrest, which means she was 10 if she was involved in the teenagers. Like, that's crazy to me. Yeah, I hope Um, she wasn't. I hope so, too. There was, however, physical evidence that they were involved to some extent, at least Victoria. Some sources said that Anastasia was involved, as well as others that said she wasn't involved at all. So it's well, and then she's it kind of calls into question, like, how involved can a 10 year old be? Like, yeah, if they're not, I'm not saying that a 10 year old isn't capable of killing someone because Mary Bell. Yeah, we've yeah. we've covered cases and talked about it. But, you know, if you're like, oh, she was benefiting from the stolen goods or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. And she was 10. Like, when you're 10, though, you like it's not like you can stop your parents from killing people yeah like what what was especially she supposed you, to do especially if, if you she, know that you're killing people what if they just turn around and fucking kill you they just killed your you know i mean family member i can definitely cover a case where that literal thing happens so yeah i mean i mean no <laughs> <laughs> so we don't know how involved she was and actually i couldn't find anything about if she had been tried at all as a juvenile or otherwise uh, which I'm not mad about. I'm actually glad they're protecting information on kids yeah, in Russia. Yeah, definitely should be. Uh, but she would be turning 22 this year, so I do hope that she got therapy and was placed in a good home, if nothing else, and the rest of them can rot. Yeah. Speaking of rotting, Anissa was sentenced to uh, 21 years in prison. At the end of this lengthy pri- uh, trial, it was decided that Anissa was the mastermind behind all of the killings, suggesting that the rest of the family were more inclined to commit burglary and robbery than to do actual killing. But who can say when the husband is dead and can't speak for himself and everybody can just point fingers as they want. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, she only got 21 years. Victoria, the 25-year-old daughter, got, 20, or got 16 years. Anastasia, the sister, not the daughter, uh, got 19 years and Sergei got 20 years. So they are going to be in prison until basically 2040s or late 2030s. Yeah. And that's the gang of Amazons from Russia. They were definitely not Amazons. But no. she was a gangster by nature. She said so herself. They were they were neither Amazons nor Glamazons. <laughs> and we all, we, all, we all know that when you say something about yourself that makes you sound it's, really cool that it's definitely it's accurate i'm god bitch <laughs> <laughs> oh, well is my mouse <laughs> thank you for joining us this week as we discuss those killer fams uh we hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences we want your stories your questions and your feedback uh, send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you are sending a listener story, we just ask that you put listener story in the subject line so we can sort through those a little more easy. Easy? Easily. Easily. Do you know a killer family? Do you know Do you know anybody? Uh, is anybody in your family uh, killed by the benders or even even the, the, the gang, the Glamazon? Is anyone in your family a, a gangster by nature? I'm, you know, I do want to know. <laughs> Do you have any gangsters? By- I'm all about ACAB, but those people were crazy. Yeah. Okay. Um, you can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcasts or our personal accounts, Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey, where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're on Facebook. Just search for the strange and unusual podcast. If you'd like, you can join us over on patreon.com slash strange unusual. Um, we have some bonus episodes. We have a Discord access. We have polls that we will put up um, asking for suggestions on where we go, who we cover, what we cover, different things like that. And uh, when Roya is able to make it happen, you get episodes slightly earlier than uh, you will on any other format. Um, I try to do it as early as I can, but sometimes it's just like several hours before it would come out. We got day jobs, bitches. Yeah. If you want to make this our day job, (laughs) we would love that. And they will be out 
fucking days beforehand. Yeah, support us on Patreon if you want more of our content. <laughs> you want us to assault your ear holes. With our sad Wednesdays. <laughs> um, we completely understand right now COVID is again on the rise and um, things are tough. So if you're unable to support us financially, like I said, we totally get it. We just ask that you like, share, subscribe, rate, review, um, interact with us on social media. Any variety of things like that will help us out with the algorithms a lot. Um, I can confirm that Spotify does have a rating system for podcasts, finally. Yep. Um, but I don't see that they have a review system yet, so I'll keep an eye to see if that changes. Um, and as long as you rate us five stars, I will read it on the podcast, no matter what it says. So be mean. These bitches are gangsters by nature. Yeah. <laughs> five stars. Be mean. Be shitty. I don't care. If it's five stars, I will read it. Zero problems. Yep. Fuck us up. <laughs> anyway. Bye. Bye. <laughs>